did you did you move the DVD player somewhere? I feel it's it's not where it's supposed to be. No, I, I just walked in. And, uh, what does the DVD player look like? Uh, it's the slender silver thing that says DVD on the front of it. Oh. It has like a cup holder looking device when you push the button. Oh yeah, I put I put a cup in it. You son of a bitch. It doesn't I thought it was all streaming. You know, the the more that I live with this machine, I realize how kind it is to other basically simple machines that we take for granted in our everyday lives and how much it hates the flesh and bone of man. Yeah, it's probably why we had to watch Message in a Bottle last week. Yeah, I'm still I'm still broken. I feel hollow at the core of my spirit. Well, luckily we get to talk about something much, much better. So thank you. I actually I mean, forgot. I don't know how gonna, we're going to wash this, seeing as how you've yeah, destroyed I'm, my DVD player with your... You know, I think there's a deep-rooted uh, psychology decaf? now. Is that a decaf I, you got? <laughs> actually, I have to drink decaf now because, uh, yeah, I'm getting a little anxious. I don't care. In his own garage, Kyle has built a machine. Cobbled together with parts found in his friend's church basement and a dumpster behind the local Dairy Queen, this monstrosity is now alive and evil. Kyle has convinced his friend Dave to help stop the apocalypse by reviewing films the machine picks. The ultimate purpose is still unknown, and Kyle could have probably done this himself, but he's not being dragged to hell alone. This, this is, is Kyle, Kyle and Dave versus, versus the machine. The machine. Dave. Yes, Kyle. Thank you for coming over. Like I said uh, before, um, I think we're going to we're gonna have to stream this episode or stream this movie. Uh, I guess physical media truly is dead. You got you to gotta put it on a cloud, as the young the youngins say. Mm-hmm. Did you ever work an office job? Uh, yes. Mm. I have walked. Like a true office, like in a cubicle? Uh, well, uh, sort of. I uh, worked... One year, uh, so at the insurance job that I left, I uh, was a field car driving agent, but the first year of training is in cubicles so that I could learn the craft of insurance. Of cl- <laughs> the craft of insurance. Um, I'd like to sign up for your artisanal insurance, please. Well, you know what? Uh, there is a, uh, there's a contract that you have to read through that nobody reads and uh, we'll own your soul. No, good, great. Should I get term insurance, term life insurance? Or is oh, that a crock? Uh, I don't know. Actually, I was just in the home and automobile uh, side of it. Mm-hmm. The folks that work in life and medical actually do a lot better than me. Uh, that's a very lucrative world. So I uh, suspect you should. They're killing the people. That- <laughs> well, that's the thing. There's a. That's a weird world, actually, the other side. Uh, quick fact, although I'm, no, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk about this, but I was working for RBC Insurance. So RBC Bank actually had its own direct insurance company. And then by the time I was uh, let go, the it insurance... It was an amicable split, we should uh, say. Well, <laughs> it was a split. And was a split. Uh, the insurance branch for home and auto was sold to Aviva, but RBC kept uh, life and medical. So that tells you something, because that's a corrupt, cruel corporation um, who uh, I hate at its core, because they would post billion-dollar earnings, and like literally, like a movie, and cut people's bonuses. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, I think the CEO at the time was making an obscene amount of money. It's because it's all public. We do get to watch Office Space. Uh, Dave, this is going to be interesting. This is the, I shouldn't say the first, because I'm pretty sure I saw Payback. But, you know, years and years and years ago, Office Space, I feel like I'm so acquainted with because I do revisit it every few years. So this is the first time we get to watch a movie like I'm, I'm very, very familiar with. This movie is, yeah, this is one of the great, great works of mankind. <laughs> I'm automatically... It's, the, it's, the, it's the, the pyramids, the hanging gardens of Babylon, Office Space, as written and directed by Mike Judge. You know, it's a, number one. It's a five out of five. And uh, oh, yeah. okay, spoiling it here again this week. Well, I just feel like, uh, even though I haven't actually watched this movie in maybe two or three years, the fact that it's only two or three years tells you everything you need to know about mm-hmm. my relationship with this movie. One hundred percent biased. 
So I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready right. to just relax for once. Yeah, just let it after, happen. This is going to be like that after dinner coffee aperitif. No, that's before the meal. It's like the di- di- digestif. Digestif. After a week of mourning my humanity from watching that piece of crap. No, that's okay. getting a little bit. <laughs> let's, <clears throat> no. uh, let's go. Let's not belabor the point. Let's go and watch Office Space. From Mike Judge, creator of Beavis and Butthead and co-creator of King of the Hill, comes a movie about people who go to work. Who are part of a team. And remember, next Friday is Hawaiian Shirt Day. Okay, but I could take the building on fire. Who respect their boss. We need to talk about your flair. Well, I have 15... 15 pieces on. 15 is the minimum. Brian, for example, has 37 pieces of flair on today. <laughs> and a terrific smile. And neat. Hey there, it's Kyle again. Um, it is very late on a Thursday night before tomorrow morning when this episode is going live. And, you know, normally the machine edits this all itself. Uh, it's It's usually on the ball. And this week, it has been giving me nothing but attitude, and it's forced me to edit it by myself. Hasn't been great. Has not been great. And I'm loopy, and I'm tired, and I want to go to bed. So let me tell you this, that Kylan Day vs. The Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This week... Kyle and Day vs. the Machine is brought to you by Inventures, a chance to connect with the best and brightest in global innovation. You can join 4,000 plus creative and curious minds on the frontier of innovation. You can hear more than 250 speakers on six... By the way, I just noticed that they misspelled the word here in this uh, script that they give me. Never mind. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Here are more than 250 speakers on six program tracks, including... The future of AI. I was supposed to be the keynote speaker, but make one machine that's going to end the world, and suddenly you're blacklisted from every event. Inventures connects entrepreneurs and startups with venture capitalists, angel investors, service providers, and thought leaders. The conference includes an education track for students, too. Alberta Innovates is making all of this possible in Calgary from June 3rd to June 5th. Tickets are only $399 if you buy before the end of April. If you're a student, you can get an early bird ticket right now for only $99. Get your tickets today at adventurescanada.com. That's I-N-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S, adventurescanada.com. This week, we're also sponsored by the Alberta Podcast Network. So let's hear from one of the other great shows on the network. Hi, I'm Emily. And I'm Brienne. And together we make Emily Missed Out, a podcast where Emily and I dig into the long list of films that she hasn't seen yet. It's a very long list. Totally long list. And help her catch up on all of the pop culturally relevant lines, characters, scenes, and tropes that she may have missed out on. We're also a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can find us online at albertapodcastnetwork.com or wherever you find your podcasts. Join us for my pop culture education. Yeah. All right, that was amazing. Great, right? It still holds up. I, I I find it amazing. Definitely, you can tell it was created in the late nineties. Sure, uh, just based on people's clothing, the technology that people are using, the way it's shot, the cars. I still feel that it's like so modern day in its mentality. You know what? I I was uh, thinking it's. Going to because of its everlasting godliness as a film, uh, it's going to evolve as a period piece. Oh, 100%. This will be like, um, like His Girl Friday or one of those like 1940s films that people still watch. Like, It's a Wonderful Life actually is probably a better example. Yeah, there's something uh, whether it's intentional or not, probably not, but uh, Mike Judge nails it without like it's clearly timed you know or uh, it's clearly set in a specific time and at the time it would have been a cutting edge issue you know the y2k crisis which i know isn't that i I think that's the hilarious thing right is 
we put our minds back, and that was a true thing. I remember watching. This is gonna make me sound like a ninety-year-old man, but I actually used to watch sixty minutes as a kid and as a teenager because it was on right before the Simpsons came on on Sunday nights yes. on my television that only had three channels. But I remember there being a story. It was probably like Mike Wallace reporting it. Uh, or maybe it was Leslie Stahl, who knows? But it was just like Y2K, big thing. Computers aren't going to be able to handle it. And We're this movie die. kind of addressed it. And I think it's, I think Y2K is looked back on as like this joke, like, ha ha, we all thought the computers were going to die. But it was like, it was a, kind of a real worry for, no, the, for a yeah, while. Yeah, the buildup was something. I mean, as a, I saw this in a comedy or something, but, you know, kids that are grown up in uh, urban cities have to, you know, just look too cool for everything. So if someone mm. said Y2K in 99, she'd be like, yeah, something. But that was like, people were freaking out. You know, people were actually thinking it was an ap apocalyptic event. Because yeah. if we had lost the entire digital uh, compu computational infrastructure of the world because of the stupid digit, mm -hmm. yeah, that would have been the end. And, and that would be even more so now. Like back then, yes. Like there'd been so many things that would go down and would have made life difficult. But if that was to happen today, where literally everything that had a computer and it wasn't working, goodbye. Like, transit's not going. Like, traffic lights aren't going to work. Like, everything is going down. So, interesting. Office Space was released on February 19th of 1999. Uh, the other major releases this weekend were Jawbreaker, starring Rose McGowan, Rebecca Gayhart, and Julie Benz. Uh, written and directed by Darren Stein. You know, I did, while you were talking, and when I wasn't really listening to you, uh, I did a quick little research. Jawbreaker apparently is a bit of a cult classic nowadays. I have never heard of this film in my entire life. And people actually do watch and rewatch that movie quite a bit by the sounds of it. I'm not sure if I've actually watched it, but uh, is it, it's something like a... I'm trying to think of a good comparison. It's apparently Bad like girls. Heather's a yeah, little bit, where right. like there's a murder that happens, covering up. Um, again, very quick research, while I was not listening to what you were saying, is uh, it was actually criticized as being too much like Heather's. Like ah. it was ripping it off almost. Also released this weekend was October Sky, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Chris Cooper, and Chris Owen. Directed by Joe Johnson, written by Lewis Colick. I remember the artwork of october sky because sure. it's like jake Gyllenhaal looking up with a mouth agape a like little a bit prairie, like yeah background yeah never seen the movie <laughs> is it about aliens i don't know probably not <laughs> probably not it could be but i remember it being like jake gyllenhaal's like first kind of major performance but that's uh, not what we're talking about here today we're talking about office space currently it is rated 7.7 .7 on imdb like way travesty. too low yeah, way travesty. too low it's 68 on metacritic that makes me angry on Rotten Tomatoes, it is rated 80% by closer, critics yeah. and by viewers, 93, which is kind of more on the nose, yeah. I would say. Yeah. It is available on DVD, Blu-ray, and you can buy or rent on iTunes, YouTube, or Google Play Movies in Canada. If you don't own some form of this... Yeah, uh, like, what are you doing? Yeah, we should not communicate again. That's very personal, but <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be checking from here on in. Uh, the movie stars a lot of people, but the main stars, Ron Livingston as Peter, Jennifer Aniston as Joanna, David Herman as Michael Bolton, he's the only guy who has a last name apparently, um, and A.J. Naidu as Samir. Actually, he had a last name that nobody could pronounce, which That's was correct. a great uh, joke. And not, not going to have that job anymore, or whatever he says, yeah. <laughs> uh, Ron Livingston, let's start with him, the role of Peter. Uh, his first film was 19... Oh, actually, sorry. Before I, how do I know all this information? Let me push this button. Print this receipt off here. We have to keep the fiction going. We cannot, Dave, make this appear like it's all been a dream. That's a season four plot thread. So speaking, of, speaking of anachronistic, yeah. I love that we have a button and it's printing this up on paper. That's correct. Yeah, that's a great machine you've invented, Kyle. Really up with the time. I need to kill as many trees as I possibly can by the end of the year. So Ron you. Livingston, his first film was 1992's Straight Talk, which starred Dolly Parton. Mm. My love of Dolly Parton. Uh, from there, he had a couple of film appearances, but stuck mostly to TV before being in this movie. After which, he would be in Band of Brothers, 12 episodes of The Practice. But he would also make appearances in Adaptation, The Cooler, eight episodes of Sex and the City, before lending his voice to a bunch of Seth MacFarlane shows. Ah. As a working character actor, you 
kind of know what you're hiring when you get Ron Livingston to come in. Uh, But recently, you may have seen him in the film The Conjuring or in the TV shows Boardwalk Empire, Search Party, Loudermilk, or A Million Little Things. He was also in the recent film with the best name, that apparently is not very good, but I still want to see it, called The Man Who Killed Hitler and Then The Bigfoot. You'll be able to see him. It's a real movie. It stars Sam Elliott, and I really want to go and see it. Sam Elliott is like an auto-watch, but no, that's not true. He's in so many movies I won't watch. But okay, keep going. You mean you did not love his performance in A Star is Born? I love Sam Elliott, right? (laughs) That's Uh, right. But when he's either the lead role, I mean, Mm -hmm. you're you're on the B role, unfortunately. Next, you'll be able to see him in the movie Holly Slept Over, which is described as the unconventional comedy follows the relationship struggles of a married couple trying to conceive their friends who have lost their spark and the tension that ensues when an old college roommate stays over for the weekend. I'm hoping that he's the old college roommate. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry, I fell asleep a little bit. I feel sure. you were yeah. describing yeah. it. Let me, let me tell you about Jennifer Aniston if you somehow don't know who she is. Uh, I don't. Although, again... We're in an age that, of course, we would know who Jennifer Aniston is. And anyone, like, 10 years younger than us was probably like, uh, that old lady? I don't know who she is. Number one, I don't think people think that she's that old. And number two, it's incredible how she, in particular, more than any of them, has uh, really built a... Well, let's talk about them, yeah. uh, as you refer to them. She was Rachel in Friends. Uh, in the pilot, like, it's kind of her that it's built around the whole plot of the show friends is built around her running away from her wedding on the very first episode uh, but i would agree as as far as in front of the camera i would definitely say that she has had the more longevity of a career although david Schumer does do a lot of directing so he's uh, well they're all by, around mm-hmm. yeah I, I, uh, lisa kudrow is still around yeah. you know and uh courtney is post, still is she still album. married to david arquette i don't, that think I she don't is. know but she had that show that was kind of big-ish for a couple years oh cougar town yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay let's, oh, talk, then, let's talk about the history of friends here sure. i know uh that's uh, so that's still probably her most high profile role she would have been at the height of her popularity when this film came out which it still kind of is interesting how this film wasn't able to capitalize on that although i still feel this is me projecting like a thousand percent i still feel there was that divide between tv actors and like movie actors yes and i think that sometimes when they try to break into it, it's like well, i don't want to see a tv actor be in a movie i mean outside of the yeah outside of the sort of bias we have as consumers i actually think too that there's um, a different aesthetic quality that seems to mm-hmm. play better on a film rather than a television sort of show well i agree with that i mean again i, I apparently i have to bring her up every single time we record i think sarah michelle geller is like the epitome of this i cannot effectively communicate with you how a important and how b great i think buffy the vampire slayer is still to this day i think it is phenomenal even if the social effects don't hold up but the the stories are great what do you think about angel okay no keep going Uh, if you really want me to get into it i get it i love angel too but we won't talk about that right now sarah michelle geller is like the opinion of this where on the small screen she is effective she's emotive she's made me cry she is a great actress Anytime I've seen her in a movie, it just somehow does not translate onto a big screen. And I don't, I can't quantify it. Like, why is that the case? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's no explanation that we can provide, I don't think, from our uh, limited grasp of, uh, you know, anything. Yeah. I mean, how, I, I'm trying to think of how many people, I mean, even Jennifer Aniston, the idea that she's been in big films is kind yeah. of funny. I, I wouldn't say that she's like a, she's not been a starlet. A yeah, yeah, no, you're right. You know, she's, she's done like a lot of indie stuff. Like yeah. she has made a, a and career. She, and she, yeah, she's become, you know, she's evolved mm-hmm. quite a bit. The only thing I wonder, and I don't know if the computer can tell us, is when Office Space was actually shot. Obviously, time being 198. Oh, so it would have been through the Friends. Uh, oh, 100%. Like she was in Friends already. Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. Do you know what her first film credit was? No. Mac and Me. Do you know that, that With the movie? the alien? The stupid little alien yeah. that Paul Rudd always brings on to Conan <laughs> to troll him. Yes. Uh, she also appeared on Leprechaun. Oh, God. The really bad horror series Leprechaun. Uh, before this movie, she had been in the romantic comedy The Object of My Affection, opposite Paul Rudd. Oh, <laughs> so interesting. kept uh, that streak alive. Uh, 1999, though, was a really big year for her. Because she was in this film, she had a voice cameo in South Park, an episode of South Park, and would also be in the Iron Giant later in the oh. year. 
I so, like that movie. Yeah, Although it's that movie's phenomenal. disappeared a little bit, too. It's disappeared, which is, yeah. Yeah, that's a whole that's other a whole thing. Other yeah, thing but Aaron is great. Okay. So 1999 was a great year for her. After this movie, some of her standout roles were The Good Girl, Bruce Almighty, Marley and Me, Horrible Bosses, and We're the Millers. So just like a ton of comedies, doing a lot of comedies. I still think that she actually excels in comedy more than anything else. Uh, she would make her return to television with The Morning Show, an original series for the Apple TV Plus streaming platform. Uh, there she portrays Alex Levy, a morning show co-host who has to adapt after her co-host is fired for sexual misconduct or the Matt Lauer story is basically what they're doing. She's now appeared in a few Adam Sandler comedies. Uh, and you'll next be able to see her in The Fixer, which is described as a former Miss USA contestant becomes a successful sports manager, apparently based on a true story. See, that's a good synopsis, right? Yeah. It's like a one yeah, line. I know. I'm not you bored have, like right. five words into it. <laughs> I remember uh, just quickly this. Yeah. I'm reading this thing about how trailers are now controlled by movie companies to spoil the ending because American audiences will not go see a movie that unless they know. Yeah. yeah, unless they know that it will entertain them, which is uh, disgusting. It's awful. It's the worst. All right, let's talk about David Herman. He plays Michael Bolton in this movie. Hilarious. If you've thought to yourself, Dave, that you haven't really seen him in many other things, uh, you'd be correct uh, because he's mostly been a voice actor his entire career. So you would not have seen him. Well, I remember him. Who is it? I mean, there's a list of the character actors in this that are from Mad TV. Well, that's that's the next sentence here. He was one of the original cast members of Mad TV. He left after two seasons. I think it was him and Artie Lang actually that left. Yeah, After maybe. just a couple no, years. No, are you links? Or did he stick around? A little bit, because I think he crossed over with the Korean dude who became a viral since mm -hmm. was like, I find him so obnoxious, but... Um, uh, yeah. Matt, wow, that was a really, that was a, was a, weird, a weird time weird in history show. with Mad TV trying to go up against uh, Saturday Night Live. Yeah. He was also in Dude, Where's My Car? So... Ah, uh, that's... You know <laughs> what? I mean, I, I haven't watched that in probably 15 years, but that was a big... Uh, that's a big cultural touchstone. Yeah, yeah. I like that. No, I'm no. sure that does not hold up whatsoever. But who knows? Uh, looking through his credits, he has been in things like Invader Zim, B-Movie, Futurama, as the voice, by the way, of Scruffy, which I cannot make work, the janitor in Futurama. Yeah, yeah. But that's amazing. King of the Hill, Beavis and Butthead, Brickleberry, Adventure Time, American Dad, Scooby-Doo, and Bob's Burgers. Wow. So he's been in like almost every single animated TV show and like movie. Like good ones, too. Yeah. Like big ones, yeah. However, having said that, about him being mostly a voice actor, his next film is called 98%, uh, which currently has no plot description on IMDb, so who that's knows the, if that's ever going to be released. Uh, AJ Nadu, he appeared in Darren Aronofsky's first film, Pie. Really? Yeah. Uh, but he has also movie. been in My Giant, the Billy Crystal film that was supposed to star Andre the Giant before he passed away. After this, he's continued working. Some of the highlights are Rec Room for a Dream, Hannibal, the movie, a guest spot on the West Wing, Bad Santa, an episode of Scooby-Doo, and The Wrestler. So Aronofsky must really love him since how he's been in most of his movies. The Darkness, Requiem for a Dream is... Super depressing. I can see... I. It's a movie that I appreciated when I saw it, and I have no desire ever to sit through that experience ever again. I will agree exactly with that <laughs> statement. Mm -hmm. Incredible movie, though. Uh, next up for him is a film called Antarctica, which will have a bit part, but the description is two lifelong best friends gang up against the absurdity of suburbia as they try to cope with idiot boys, clueless adults, unwanted therapy, and their last year at high school. Oh God. Antarctica. Antarctica. This movie was written and directed by Mike Judge. I should also point out by the way that we are recording on those mic same microphones as last week because... It was convenient. Uh, it's convenient. And the uh, upstairs neighbors are having a rave. Are having a party there, apparently. Yeah. All that glitters is gold. He had only done animation up to this point in his career. He had done a bunch of animated shorts. Uh, but interestingly enough, which I always like to point out, he does have a degree in physics. That's what he went to school for. Uh, but he was into computers and into the startup scene before jumping into animation. He made his name with Beavis and Butthead. Uh, those started as shorts that played on MTV where the characters would comment on the music videos, which is also partly why you cannot really get Beavis and Butthead on like DVD or anything because they don't have the rights to the music videos to show with them. Then that became a series. Finally, it became a full-length animated feature in 1996 called Beavis and Butthead Do America. I 
did not get to watch me with some butthead growing up uh, because it was on MTV and uh, we did not get MTV. <laughs> I had three channels and was at the whim of the CRTC and what I could actually watch. Uh, I did don't, you have MTV growing up? Uh, no, MTV was uh, also like a you know one of those pay digital satellite mm. something. But much music would bring in some sometimes occasionally some of those clips. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, when that show got, I guess, syndicated, I had no interest in watching it for some reason. I think I was too big into Simpsons, and I became right. an absolutist. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. No, I get you. Same with South Park. I have a feeling that's why I never got into South Park. But anyways, <laughs> let's keep going. Like I said, this was his first non-animated project, but he would follow it up with the likewise cult classic Idiocracy, uh, and eventually a film called Extract, which uh, currently was the last movie that he has worked on as a writer and director. It's uh, Jason, what's his, Bateman. Bateman, yeah. yeah. He would continue working in animation. He created and helped run King of the Hill for 13 seasons, uh, where he also voiced Hank Hill. And finally, he would create and help run the show Silicon Valley, which just finished its run of six seasons on HBO last year. So who knew? Who knows what he'll be up to next? It's crazy. But he just wrapped up a show. I kind of do hope he comes back and does another film, even though... Definitely Office Space for me is his high watermark and hit it like right out of the gate. Idiocracy, I think, has uh, flurries of greatness. And Extracts is pretty forgettable of a film, to be honest. Um, the budget for this movie was $10 million. You hear that message in a bottle? Yeah. This is what you can do for $10 million. That's about $15.5 million uh, in today's world. However, it opened to $4 million. It would go on to domestically bring in at 10.8 and zero international because it was not released internationally. It was only released into basically English speaking territories. So it ended with $10.8 million, which basically made it a huge flop at the huge box flop. office. This is a huge, huge, huge flop. Let's, uh, let's open this up. Dave, I'm going to kind of do the reverse of how I opened up last week's episode. Why do you love this movie so much? Well, I mean, I love everything about you know. I, you know what I? I think number one is the the human characters. Like you know, in the opening sequence where uh, they're stuck in the I think it's L.A. but wherever they are uh, in the traffic. Actually, I think they filmed this in Texas. Uh, but like like, is it meant to be? In I actually don't know. I have no idea. It's like, it looked like it's supposed to be a Silicon Valley, so maybe somewhere yeah. in, in California. But anyways, uh, so they start off on the freeway, and uh, as a Torontonian. This idea of the three uh, characters of how you deal with that environment are, are fucking incredible. From yeah, the rage like inching down. Yeah, to the white guy mm. listening to gangster rap that gets so self-aware when a black man's walking by him. Yeah. Like, uh, well, the whole this thing is, is almost like, this is to me like the comedy version of this movie called Falling Down. Yes. I was with just Michael Douglas. Like, yeah. Which I also love, but that's literally just a guy at the end of his open is like, screw this, gets out and just like walks out of his car. I'm like, I'm not dealing with this anymore. And then the movie starts from that point. And this is them like, it's like, nope, another drudgery day. I don't want to go to this stupid job anymore. Uh, which I think a lot of people have felt, especially the office workers out there. It doesn't necessarily have to be an office worker, but you kind of get the idea of like, I'm going to a place that I do not enjoy with a majority of people that I don't want to be around with. So all these like little microaggressions are so amplified because everything that somebody does is just so frustrating. I also do think though, this is a very nineties movie and, and I don't know how I want to phrase it because everyone even now is worried about like layoffs and downsizing and that sort of thing. And, and companies not treating them like a human being, but at the same time, I also think that this like office work drudgery is not as prevalent in our culture. That's the sense I get where people are more than willing to. I'll disagree. Just, to that. I, I don't know. Denial. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I, I can't remember what I was, it was a Ted talk a while ago, just to do a quick interlude. I don't know if we'll keep this, but I was talking about, I think we're going to put in the full Ted talk right here. <laughs> uh, there was a prominent philosopher and social whatever in the late 1800s that created industrial corporate culture where he, basically said the only way to make human beings efficient was to take away creativity, individuality, and uh, essentially assign them one role so they become a cog in a machine so that the uh, amplified power of the machine would, mm -hmm. you know, uh, be... And I think 
that's become so pervasive, not just specifically in the physical experience of being in an office, but even the way that we interact with each other on the day to day. There's something about introducing yourself at a party and people usually say, well, what do you do for a living? When you make friends, people are talking about, you know, what type of house you have? How many mm. square feet do you want to live in? You know, there's something about these cubicles, essentially, metaphorically, that uh, we've been placed in that naturally, I think everybody wants to break out of them. Like speaking to the movie again, one of my favorite parts of this movie I'm um, rewatching is whenever they do a pan, like at the office party, mm-hmm. it's not hired, beautiful mm-hmm. models. It's, it's real people. Yeah. It's like real. And they're all broken. Yeah, there's, they're all broken people. There's a single person with a grin. They're, I don't know if they're instructed to be like that or if they're actually just bored. Well, yeah, I think here's, here's I guess, where I'm going to push back against your pushback here a little bit. And I, I, I again, I'm going to uh, cop to the fact that this is my own privilege and my own biases uh, that's going on here, my own bias that's going on here. But nowadays I find that it's like, yes, I have a job, but that's go how I go and make money. And I have like, 14 side hustles that i'm in and that's not what i really want to be doing i actually want to be doing all this stuff or at least make it part of my job but i can't because i can't make money enough money out of it to actually support what i want to do so the job is a means to an end to actually support that where and again this is maybe just the media that i consumed but back then it was like actually the central thesis of this movie is like i just want to do nothing i just want to sit and do nothing and i don't think that would necessarily be the same thing today i think we sympathize with it where nothing actually means do what i want to do well i think i mean i don't know if this has been the intention from my judge on a long-term scale but i mean the two points i'm thinking of is number one your experience with how people approach their lives is the entrepreneurial experience and you're yes. going to be hanging out with entrepreneurs I come from, I, I experienced the opposite where um, like now that I myself am a, a form of an entrepreneur, I, I do also hang out with only people that care about things that I care about and do things mm-hmm. that I do. But previously when I lived particularly in Toronto, and I, as I saw my friends quote unquote succumb to this, air quotes, you get that monotone where you're just chasing you know, promotion, stability, retirement, whatever the themes and the mm-hmm. words are. I'm not sure... If the what's the main character again? Uh, Peter's mm-hmm. malaise and his dream of doing nothing is meant to actually represent a correct goal, because in the end his drive for apathy destroys him, right? Right. Yeah. Um, because they also show uh, like the million dollar question scene. Like, what would you do with a million dollars, right? And so you know the uh, his buddy with the construction was like two chicks at the same time and like um nazir whatever is like uh, invested in these capital and you know right 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 um, he's aware that there are different perceptions of what freedom and success uh, could mean to different people so i was thinking about that at the end too i think when i was young i thought yeah i want to do nothing that's uh, probably why i did nothing for so long mm-hmm. but watching it now all, all i can think about is uh the likely intent that his idea of, look, I just want to sit and do nothing is actually not a good thing. No, I, yeah. That's actually an interesting thing. Like, looking at this from, again, we constantly do this, like, our age of when this movie came out, like, what we have thought versus what we think now <laughs> as adult people. And I think you're right. I think that would have been the ultimate goal. Is like, yeah, doing nothing is great. And now it's like, oh, no, doing nothing is not that good. You get bored pretty quickly which um, I'm now thinking of the real, real end of the movie where he is like super content being outside, working, working with his hands and being like, I'm doing something. I'm not just sitting and being this cog in the machine. I guess he's still a cog, but he feels like he's accomplishing something. Well, there's, uh, you know, what's the difference. And, I, I, and, and this definitely 41 year old me um, with all the spiritual reading, et cetera, et cetera, that I've been doing. Um, there's a difference between in your brain doing nothing and then and being this cog where you're um, sort of obligated and controlled to act in a certain way. And then this idea of action that's pure. Um, that's a very wide and, and dangerous term. But, you know, when you are a construction worker, you, if you are someone that wants to do something tactile and you pick up something and you put it down, um, the value of that work is not about uh, getting a raise or moving forward. It's just that you got to use your body. If you're someone like Mike Judge, 
who's had that much success, he's not someone who values doing nothing. He's someone no. who values... Well, he's like, I mean, he's constantly yeah. working. We've seen what his like CV is here. Actually, going with Mike Judge specifically, again, I do not have any context for Beavis and Butthead specifically, but knowing King of the Hill and loving King of the Hill as much as I do, I was like the only person in my friend group that did, but I thought it was like very... Had a great cultural critique that was going on. Knowing this movie and knowing some of the other stuff that he's done, this movie is very Mike Judge in that it's very rarely like set up punchline, set up punchline, which so many comedies do. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that that's a criticism, but he really hones in like, I want to make a very specific character, let you in on what makes that character tick and then put them into situations because now you inherently know why this is funny. Yes. And so you get introduced to this guy, Peter, who's just frustrated and everything. And so when he walks in and goes into that interview with the two Bobs, it's like, this is hilarious because he doesn't give a shit anymore. <laughs> yeah. And that's what makes that scene funny. He's not really saying any like funny jokes. It's just like, oh, this is great because he doesn't care anymore. And there's these two sycophants who work for the company who are like, what would you well, no, do? Sorry, they don't if, work for the company. They're consultants. They're, I'm sorry. They're consultants. Like, how would you feel if you got like stock options and they're like they're like so happy with themselves he's as like yeah many whatever as, uh, four <laughs> employees under you know i um I, I agree with you there's uh, you follow his path you know it's like an iliad he starts off as this one character there's all these critical changes and instead of being a punchline type of thing we just watch his character evolve mm -hmm. through the decisions that he makes or even like the, the classic kill the printer scene, which is we've seen so many people be frustrated by it not working properly that when you finally get that catharsis of like, oh, I would love to be in that moment. And these characters are just like, no, they're, they're being true to themselves, true to their characters. And that's what makes it funny. The release and the yeah. way he builds that up as they are just, you know, PC load letter, you know, like you're just, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, every, whatever it is, turns out, I'm sure there's a time, I'm sure there's a timing, like every 10 minutes, there's a scene where you're just like, oh, that fucking printer, like I've had I mean, that printer. Oh yeah. Everyone's had printer issues because no printer ever works. Goddamn printers. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just going to bring this up because, because uh, I do know this movie so well, I already knew this piece of trivia off the top of my head was that Mike Judge actually had to fight to have rap music even be appearing in the movie because the studio said no straight up is like we cannot put rap music which is not even anyways that's a whole other kettle well, of fish but I, I just feel like that's such a, a flavor to this film that they could have used a either a traditional score or some other layering effect but it's like no like people were listening to rap music back then let them listen to something that they would actually be listening to well that's the other part i was going to bring up which i think is so good in this movie and i'm glad he fought for that is um it's not just rap music it's not like uh I don't know what was pop because 99 hip hop's already blown up. So it's oh, not yeah. just, you know, this is, original. It is the popular culture. Yeah. At this so point. you're going to get like, it's not Mace and, you know, Puff mm -hmm. Daddy and Tom, right, you right. know, it, it, he brought in that sort of like hard edge gangster rap uh, without going so far that uh, it, you know, over overwhelms the film. That's why that opening sequence with, I can't remember his name anymore, but... Uh, Michael Bolton. Michael Bolton. So yeah. that opening sequence with Michael Bolton, that indulgence and then that social self-awareness and shame or like fear, I mean, that's that was a real thing. Like if you weren't growing up in the actual ghettos, but you were listening to this hard edge music, even in Toronto, like if you get out and you had a ghetto blaster and you're like a white dude in a suit, people will fight you. At the very least, mm -hmm. you'll be uh, accosted because it, there's such a there's such a, a visual um, problem. People were listening to that music and identifying with a lot of the core themes of uh, of hip hop, which has always been yeah struggle and overcoming these odds. Although mm -hmm. it also delves into other terrible shit too. But now, of course, this movie is called Office Space, uh, and it does feature the office very specifically uh, i do want to bring in the fact that it does veer into like being in a restaurant and how soul crushing that must be i never had to work in restaurants which i'm very glad for because anyone who i know did it, said it was an awful experience but maybe that's just you know survivor's bias who knows no it's awful but i mean you look at that and you go into restaurants that remind you of the chachi's restaurant in this movie and you can now say like, oh, they have like 16 pieces of flair or that person over there has 18. And know how, how soul crushing that actually must be to that person. 
There's something uh, that might be one thing, and it's the period piece idea is that the idea of a family restaurant is evolving so much, at least in North America. But at that time, every chain restaurant was like that.、Mm-hmm. And I worked in them. You know, whether you're working at a Jack Asser's, Montana's, Eastside Mario's, whatever, it wasn't how they're doing it now where they're trying to go like mid luxury and,、mm-hmm. you know, dark and、uh, wood panel bullshit. It was like shitty tables with、uh, like paper on top of them, people in these. Audacious costumes. And so, I, I mean, my、uh, family would just go to Hooters for the wings. That was it, our family restaurant. But even Hooters, the same thing, right? Like, I, I haven't been to Hooters. I was never interested in the concept of them uh, even uh, years ago. But I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I could be wrong because it's such an institution, but I wouldn't be surprised if it hasn't already. The next time, at some point, it turns into a restaurant and the women are still hired uh, for mm-hmm. their uh, breast size or whatever the sexuality at that time means, but it'll go a little upscale because, you know, this、uh, 80s, 90s was a much more naive time. Look at the stress over the E, who tears or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's one of those movies, right? This so unassuming. And this is why. And I fall into this all the time. Like, I make like, my top 10 favorite movies of the year at the end of every movie year that I go to. But like, I can't see every single movie that comes out. So there's things that I don't see until a few years later. And I find that there's always a movie, or very often a movie, that I'll see and like, yeah, I enjoyed that. But then it kind of works its way into your psyche a little bit. And then you watch it again. And then you watch it again. And f- fairly soon, this movie that I rated like, 10th, 11th, 12th on my list is like, actually, no, this is my favorite movie that came out this year because it's so good. I watch it all the time. And that's like Office Space to a T. No one went to see this in theaters. Like, barely anyone went to saw this in theaters. And yet it has now stood the test of time. It's been on every major release you can think of, it's quoted all the time. I don't think there's an office out there that probably doesn't have some sort of meme or something associated with this movie going on with it. So, yeah, it's one of those just unassuming movies that is so, I don't know, culturally rich, let's say. That's the thing with comedy, I, I suspect.、Uh, you know, to that trope,、uh, Zoolander, Hot Rod. I mean, there's a couple that I'm slipping, but they're all box office flops. I don't,、mm-hmm. I'm definitely, I'm pretty sure I didn't see Office Space in the theaters. Although, I did not, no. You know, as we discussed in, pay, in Payback, I was still in Hamilton. They were still $2 Tuesdays.、That's、so、right. it's, it's plausible I did see it in the theater, but. You know, these well, I want to go further than with that, even, which is y- you, you have this,、um, the awards and stuff that come out at the end of the year, right? Best actor, best actress, best movie. And I have this working theory that I've had for years where, again, this is kind of like the working for a dream thing. Hey, I, I respect this movie. This,、uh, this is very effective. But I never want to see this movie ever again in my life. This is a movie that I do want to constantly watch. And I just think that rewatchability is sometimes an undervalued component of what makes great film. This is something that I want to constantly revisit. And I think that you can pull out pieces that are very relevant to your life. And it also bugs me that, that performances such as like、um, David Herman as Michael Bolton or even Ron Livingston as Peter Two, like these are not flashy performances. But I would turn them as great performances,、yes. but they're never going to be recognized for that. Well, I mean, not on a, yeah, I guess not on an academy yeah, scale. Yeah. But I, I agree with, I mean, my, I, you know, post、uh, Siskel and Ebert, the world as it became more and more extreme. Critics, I hate critics now. All, all they want. All critics are awful. I think so. That's why we've made this show critiquing movies. Well, I, what I mean is. I mean, the, this is why the machine has made us critique movies. Well, what. What I mean is,、uh, you know, when you look at, for example, Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic or whatever, and you actually delve into these so called、uh, elite published critics,、mm-hmm. they, in my mind, are just lonely, bitter, broken old men who are trying to justify <laughs> their intelligence. We're talking at you, Frank Rich. All they're doing is looking for、um, subversive themes and fucking like bullshit intelligence and,、uh, you know, like. Just little nuances to make them seem smart, but they don't want to watch a movie anymore.、Mm. So, something like Requiem for the Dream, although it is a fantastic movie, would score very well with a modern critic because not only is it shot well, interestingly, and the, and the acting is great, but it's so fucking dark、mm-hmm. and cruel, and they like that shit. So, for example, like Blue Valentine mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. is this critically acclaimed that, That's a piece of shit film.、Uh, it's unwatchable, it's depressing. I, I, I hated it. 
I was angry that I watched it. But, you know, if you look at Zoolander, critics think it was the worst movie that was ever created, essentially. And that movie's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's so dumb that it's perfect. People look down on, like, the Star Wars and the Indiana Jones and those types of, like, popcorn flicks. And I'm not I'm trying to argue that every movie should be like that. There, there needs to be that the prestige films and the lowbrow and, and, and the middle of the road. But I'm not going to lie and say that the the comedies and those popcorn flicks aren't the ones I usually watch the most because to your point, I don't want to feel terrible for two hours. Yes, it's probably going to like push my mind and make me th- see things in a different way. But boy, do I not want to do that at 8 p.m. after I've gotten home from work. Yeah, you know, you I'm not to single them out, but you know, you watch a Darren Aronofsky film mm-hmm. And you walk out and you're like, holy shit, like I've been moved. Whether mm. it's, it's never light, but you know, whatever the level of darkness and psychopathy that's been revealed in it. And it makes you think, you know, for good or for ill. About I where should become at. a wrestler. <laughs> uh, and shines a light, you know, the shines a light into the dark corners of fucking blah, blah, blah. Like, I think I bought The Wrestler. I have never watched that movie. Mm-hmm. On Past DVD. the first time, or? it was one of the yeah. It was one of those movies that got Helen and I to start thinking about that. I needed a an intended three or four watch system. If I looked at a film that I loved, I had to ask myself, "Am I going to watch this four times?" Mm, right. Uh, otherwise, I should not buy this. Right. Yeah, that makes um, sense. Those are two scales. That's not the critical scale. That's like the popcorn or enjoyment thing. Um, so that's you know, there's a, there needs to be a balance there. But I feel like. At least my limited, because I don't actually spend time reading critical things about movies anymore, but uh, whenever I scan through a Metacritic thing or look to see what's um, opening, invariably, everything that's going to be a 95 plus, I'll right. look at it and be like, this is going to be garbage. I mean, even if it's a good film, I don't think I want to spend you know, two hours to be yeah. depressed. So I look in the 60s, <laughs> yeah, 60s, 70s, or if a comedy comes out and they rank, then yeah, yeah. then I'll be like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe this is worth whatever, a movie to $25 at the time. I mean, not about. that it's out right now, because obviously it's, you know, February uh, 20, 21st of 2020, but Knives Out is a good, great date movie that one could go and see, potentially in a cheap theater currently. Yes. What? I'm not sure what we're talking about anymore. Yeah, me neither. I don't know, like any, any, any wrapping up thoughts here? Like I, I'm glad that this is its own unique thing. I'm very glad it never had a sequel, even when it started to become super popular on home video. I, I enjoy the fact that this is just this little oddity that has great character actors, cast incredibly well. Jennifer Aniston is great in this movie too, in yeah, basically the girlfriend role, but I think she has her own little mini arc that goes on here too of her standing up to her boss eventually and being like, yeah, I don't need to be You want like a piece of flair? Yeah. Here's me. Here's flair. But, the, flair, yeah. but that's the thing about Mike. I, I don't know. I mean, about his, the rest of his work, but I appreciate in this. I mean, yeah. Jennifer Aniston comes in as the, you know, girl next door, the girl working at the thing, but her development arc parallels opposes Peter's as she becomes the voice of morality. Mm-hmm. Um, but she too also, gains the curse she doesn't disappear it's not like she's this girlfriend it's like you know you know whatever god religion christ wouldn't let you do this and then walks away from the film she like takes part of the whole thing too it's what i love what you just said there is is so interesting because if you really break it down the peter character comes this realization like i cannot be this like rat in a maze stuck in a cubicle the rest of my life i'm going to go out and like work with my hands outdoors after like their huge plan fails but joanna just goes to a different restaurant gig and again nothing wrong with that but i think the idea here hopefully that she's being treated like a human being and not like this is what we say but we're not actually telling you what we actually want you to do to be like a quote-unquote good employee and i think both of those are important is like a finding out what you really want to do and go and do it like whether that is just working with your hands and getting out of the thing that's causing you the most stress or be it's like, no, I, I'd like being a waitress. I just don't want to be treated like this as a waitress. So let me go to a different restaurant where I'm actually going to be treated like a real person. And I think both of those are shown to be equally as well thought out goals. So my, uh, to that point, uh, at the end of the film, uh, Michael Bolton and Samir driving up, you know, par- paranoid about the scam, but uh, they've joined Whatever the next intercompany is. Yeah, yeah, like another software engineering company, which they're going to be doing the same thing they were doing before, but they, they're just, they just like doing that. So you end up, I mean, I, I don't know. I think when I first watched the movie, 
there's this idealistic part of my mind that was like, you know, Peter really got it. He's got the Zen flow and construction is going to be it. But, you know, now that I'm thinking about it in this discussion, I think Mike Judge just, like you said, just leaves it open. You know, as mm-hmm. much as Peter's, you know, the, it pans out and Peter's kind of like, fucking A. At the same time, you're like, yeah, like Jennifer Aniston's character continued to be a waitress. Will she be happy in the next season? Probably not. But she's happier because, right, mm-hmm. uh, somebody isn't asking her about her fucking flair. Yeah. So obnoxious. Uh, speaking of character actors. Uh, oh, yeah. We Stephen Root. We haven't talked about Stephen Root, who is such a great actor because you have him in this, but then you can have him in stuff like the Coen brothers movies sometimes where he's absolutely terrifying in some of those movies. Like he can be super intense and super almost like semi evil, but yeah, uh, being uh, Jimmy, whatever he is in news radio, mm-hmm. which was yeah. great, like the clueless guy. And yeah. here he's like, just like this, like nebbish, like loser guy who eventually does burn down the office building. The guy is a chameleon where he can, I think you could throw pretty much anything at him and he could do it. Yep. I don't know if he could be the main protagonist of a film. I have no idea. I would love to see them try. I would love to see like the Coen brothers try and create a film where he is the actual protagonist. It's kind of like the, um, oh, what's that movie called? It's called uh, Paris, Texas, I think, that stars Harry Dean Stanton. That And he was classically like almost like every movie you can think of is like even showing up only for sometimes 30 seconds like he does in The Avengers uh, of all movies. Uh, but Harry Dean Stanton, like great character actor. And like for one time, like you are going to be the main main draw into this movie. So once, once his career, I'd love for him to be the actual protagonist. There, and there, uh, I don't know. Yeah, we don't know Stephen Root, obviously. I'd love to. Oh, I, he's my father. But it, it'd be fascinating to know, too, with these character actors, uh, if they understand, or perhaps like, at least with Stephen Root in particular, he's he seems so aware of where he's drawing uh, inspiration from. I mean, mm-hmm. to to have that much range, he must just enjoy doing different things or like the voice act like all the actors become voice actors so yeah i mean that's what the great character actors do i mean there's the two types of character actors which is one you were hired to play basically the one exact trope. same role yeah. Yeah. your entire life and that's a sweet gig to get into right it's like yeah i'll be this in like 30 movies every year and get my paycheck and be a working actor for the rest of my life that bald uh, long-haired bearded chinese dude who's right. the bad terrorist in every, every single, single action movie like ever made the Die early hard. 70s until yeah. now like yeah. he's been in every single movie and he's awesome like yeah. not, not to hate on him i but saw I'm, like a short film about him once oh, really? he's like a very nice guy um has actually opened up a, a, a an acting school for asian americans which i thought was really cool, was cool um but I mean, even there's another one in this movie, John C. McGinley, who is one of the Bobs, went on to be in Scrubs, yes. et cetera, et cetera. But he's, you Amazing. look at his like CV and it's like tons of movies. Like he's in tons of movies all the time, but only as little bit parts. Yeah. And you can, again, make your career out of it. There's so many of them that have, it's like, yeah, I've worked for like the last 45 years been doing my thing. Um, so that's a, that's, that's a cool gig to get into. The only other thing I, I want to bring up, and I don't know if uh, the robot knows, but I think I remember that the character of Milton was actually from a comic strip or a cartoon. cartoon. So he, one of his, uh, one of Mike Judge's short films that he made was of Milton. And it was, this this and it was Stephen Root voiced him in that too. So. And it was about him yeah. getting lower and lower and burning down a building. I can't remember. I don't know what it's but I probably something like that. Um, Stephen Root was also in King of the Hill. That'd be fascinating actually to find that. Uh, I'm sure you can find out on YouTube. I'm sure. Yeah. The machine is angry enough at us, so we think we've uh, talked enough about Office Space. Whether or not you heard <laughs> the World War III that was going on outside of our house, my house, here today, will be uh, up to the editors to decide how much stays in this episode. It's late, I can't talk anymore. Let's start with some trivia, Dave. Mike Judge plays the manager at Chotsky's. So if you want to know what Mike Judge looked like in 1999, that is what he looks like. He looks very different. He's like bald and like clean shaven now. But one of my favorite things, one of my favorite scenes is like PC load letter. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> right. Um, that was an actual error that showed up on the printer and he just reacted to it. That was not in the script. Another ad lib that he, he did was saying ass clown. And actually... Office Space is credited as the first time someone says ass clown, and that kind of percolated into, into modern culture. He was supposed to say something different, like, because he says that uh, Michael Bolton is like a no-talent ass clown or whatever he says. He was originally supposed to say something like he's an untalented asshole, but they didn't want to make it sound like Michael Bolton couldn't actually sing, So, <laughs> which is a weird way to do it. I think a quick nostalgia point, too, is... Uh... 
who I knows would, who Michael Bolton is well, back I, then yeah, versus now. Well, yeah. no, Michael Bolton was huge, but I like, like Kenny G. It's just kind of like no, I am not going to like you know yeah. when a man he loves a woman. Like, he was a he was a a, a, a punchline. He was a punchline right, to already. a joke about like dorky white right. person music. I mean, the hair, yeah. but I, but you couldn't deny his talent because those yeah. those he can sing so, like fuck he can sing yeah uh, but now only island has back. changed that forever because well, now uh, that's how we envision him this weirdo who loves like well, back to the caribbean movies he pantomimed himself yeah but actually just quickly too i was watching the voice something and jennifer hudson and tom jones were mm. uh the I mean, tom judges. jones has a great voice too well that's the thing like uh, tom jones has become kind of a, a joke because of uh austin powers a little bit oh right yeah yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh! She like they decided to do a so-called impromptu duet. Yeah, and I was like, been rehearsed for like the last week. But yes, but damn, Mike, that dude can still sing. Yeah, the director of photography, who I should have written down his name, but I have not. I mean, the machine should have printed it out, but did not. Sorry. Uh, was it really should have probably been credited as a co-director because Mike Judge says like because he had never done live action before. He didn't actually know what to do. So he kept asking his director of photography, where do I set up the camera? Where do I point it towards? Uh, he was that green. And to the degree, like the studio was actually pretty critical of the footage he was sending back to them. He's like, this doesn't look like a movie. This doesn't look good or cinematic. Which, if you're going to be really nitpicky, I kind of agree with. Like, it does not have a cinematic look. It is very, like, point it, shoot, point ahead, shoot what's in front of your camera. There's not, like, movement. There's not a whole lot of, like, tricks and stuff that are going on. Um, but at the same time for whatever reason it works it just works in this movie well well, you know why it works for me is because it's shot like a comic strip Mm. it's so cartoonish and as you're working through the sort of narrative even when it's flat like the pan of the office characters and milton's kind of buried in the middle or um or that like flower thing where they're walking through the sewer trench and Mm. uh, it just lends this um yeah, for me, it just made it seem like I was watching a, a comic strip. Well, actually, what it throws to me, uh, and this is going to sound like a, a backhanded compliment, it actually reminds me a lot of Canadian cinema around the same time because there was a movie, I think it actually did release in 1999 or maybe 1998, called Way Downtown, shot here in Calgary, uh, directed by a guy named Gary Burns, who was very well known in the Canadian film community but it's film very similar where it's like straight ahead like looks like on video instead of on actual film and stuff like that um so it gives it this interesting like almost sort of documentary look where it's like i'm just filming this with my <laughs> with what i have instead of it being like i'm tarantino or i'm spielberg trying to film like an office comedy sort of thing so ultra wide 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 panel vision yeah i mean to, to a weird degree the unprofessional look Gives makes it. it work because it isn't too professional, not too slick. Yeah, there's probably so many accidental factors that yeah, make this makes incredible. Yeah. Um, the last thing I just wanted to say, this is not uh, printed out here, but, uh, but I remember reading this years ago. It was during some like live interview about um, DVD sales and whichever studio it was that released Office Space. And this was like in the really early 2000s, so it's like, say, 2002, 2003. And they asked the guy who was there from the studio, it's like, can you just say like right now what your number one selling DVD is? And he's like, oh, I don't know what that is off the top of my head, but I can very easily look. So he went onto his computer and he was like, oh, shit, it's office space. So this is like live on air. He's like, I had no idea we were selling this many. So he like discovered that like, yeah, we sold like two million copies of this here last month because... As much of a failure as it was, Office Space became massive on VHS and then on DVD because pretty much every single uh, college student wanted to buy it so that they could have a copy of it. I, I swear that has to be the same story as Zoolander. Yeah. I'm pretty sure because, yeah, I, I'm probably Hot Rod too, but I, I love that. I love that this idea of subverting the idea of popularity equaling success. Yeah. I mean, essentially, it goes back and there's a popularity attached to it. But this is why there's a new movie on Netflix that I'll refuse to watch because it's directed by Mike Bay. Oh, and, uh, Six Underground. Yeah. I came, mean, it's, 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 it's old now by this point, but yes. Right. Sorry. There was a release mm-hmm. uh, last uh, December uh, on Netflix that was directed by Michael wow, Bay. Wow. I can't even, I can't believe you can remember what month it came out even. I'm not bitter. Actually, I'm, I've been quite bitter about michael bay <laughs> that could be its own episode michael bay and i i mean that's the t-shirt i'm wearing right now i'm bitter about michael bay 
Um, Dave, it's come to that time where we need to rate this five so that we can put it up on sorry, our sorry. letterbox, which you can follow if you search for Kyle and Dave vs. The Machine. You're giving it a five? Yeah, I know it's nostalgia too, but I, I have Part to give it, it is, a five. Yeah. yeah, I have to give it a five. Well, Dave, this is the first time that me and you are going to actually completely agree on a movie. I'm also rating this a five out of five, which means that the little movie that could, Office Space, is now the number one rated film on our list going through 1999. I feel like, can you hear that? It's like a steam whistle. I think the machine is shocked and quite upset with us right now. Yeah, it's like... (laughs) Freaking out. It's, it's, oh my God, it's loading a PC load letter. Holy shit. I, I think we've uh, reached the end of our episode. This has been really great talking with you here today, Dave. Uh, for people who are listening, if you do want to get in contact with us because you either really agree or disagree, you can send an email to Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com. And if you are an Apple user, please rate us on iTunes so we can get that sweet, sweet search engine dollars. Five out of five. Five out of five. Yeah, give us a five out of five, just like this movie office space well moment of truth we had a really horrible week we followed up with a really great week so i don't know i don't know where we go from here let me see what we are being given oh boy (laughs) this is a movie i've not even thought of for years uh eight millimeter oh shit a nick cage movie we get to see some nick cage next Ah, week andy samberg if your jokes are only true (laughs) although hey I, i actually do feel what does he say like there's every yeah. awful movie for every three it's no one good one. movie for every three terrible ones which I actually do kind of agree with to a, to a degree like he, uh, oh, I had a tissue but uh, what was the action flick he was in National Treasure no 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 not Ghost those. Rider um, Ghost Rider based on a comic book where the kids the hero kick ass kick ass yeah I mean I'll give Nick Cage credit he was pretty awesome in kick ass yeah. he was the best Batman we've ever got Kyle, Kyle how many pieces of flair are you wearing right now Twelve. I have twelve. You said I only had to wear twelve. Look, uh, if you're the type of person that just wants to do the minimum, <laughs> you know what you can do? You can buy me a new DVD player, buddy. <laughs> Shit. 